Some folks call this the Good News Bible. I call it today's English version. I invite you to stand for the reading of the Word. It was faith that made Abraham obey when God called him to go out to a country which God had promised to give him. He left his own country without knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as a foreigner in the country that God had promised him. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who received the same promise from God. For Abraham was waiting for the city which God has designed and built, the city with permanent foundations. It was faith that made Abraham able to become a father, even though he was too old, and Sarah herself could not have children. He trusted God to keep His promise. Though Abraham was practically dead, from this one man came as many descendants as there are stars in the sky, as many as the numberless grains of sand on the seashore. It was in faith that all these persons died. They did not receive the things God had promised, but from a long way off they saw them and welcomed them and admitted openly that they were foreigners and refugees on earth. Those who say such things make it clear that they are looking for a country of their own. They did not keep thinking about the country they had left. If they had, they would have had the chance to return. Instead, it was a better country they longed for, the heavenly country. And so God is not ashamed for them to call Him their God because He has prepared a city for them. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to pull a couple of examples from Scripture and my life to share with you what this message called Living in Another Time Zone is talking about. A lot of folks say, well, we live in central time zone, so everybody else is living in another time zone. You ever traveled and said, well, you guys got the wrong time zone here. Things don't happen right. Well, I had that experience one day in college when I was living for the summer with my sister in Omaha and working out there, and it got dark at 10. Still in our time zone, but it was on the other side of it. And I wasn't used to that, so I was going, this is very strange behavior for our son to stay up this late. <laughs> but it was um, because it was over on the very far edge of this time zone that it was lighter later. I don't know about you, but when it's winter and around Christmas time and it's getting dark around 4.15, 4.30, I don't like that. But if you lived over on that end of the time zone, it would still be about 5 15 or so before it got dark. Now, interesting how that works, isn't it? I kind of wish that they could have moved the thing a little over so we'd have lighter later instead of lighter earlier, but for the morning people, they really like this side of the time zone because it's lighter sooner. And folks getting up and doing things like to have that light to do with them by. The reason I mention that is because we sometimes live our lives by the clock. By what time it is, what day it is, what season it is. And there are certain things that we have to do. Even Ecclesiastes tells us there is a time and a season for everything. 
And there is. As a matter of fact, in the book of Joshua, there's a time and a season for things to end and new things to begin. It's about the time that Moses is passing on and Joshua is assuming leadership of the Israelite people. At this time in their history, they have finished the 40 years wandering and only Joshua and Caleb are left alive of the original that left Israelite, uh, uh, of the Israelites that left Egypt. And God said, they won't get to go into the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb because they were faithful when they scouted out the new land. And so not even Moses got to go and inherit this promised land. But all this time, if you ever look at the story of the wilderness wandering, they're always saying, oh, if we could just go back to Egypt. We regret having left that place. Things were so much better back there. And you see them asking and seeking and saying, God, why did You bring us out here in this desert to die without meat? Why did You bring us out in the desert to die without water? Why did You bring us out into the desert to die without leadership when Moses was up on the mountain? All these things, they kept complaining. But at the moment, when they crossed over into the promised land, shortly before taking Jericho, when the Jordan River was parted in the flood season and they crossed on dry ground a second time, and they go to the promised land and they start wiping out and vanquishing their enemies, they no longer wished they could go back to Egypt. Why? Because none of the folks who were from Egypt were with them. None of the reminders of what life was like there were traveling with them, except for Joshua and Caleb, and they liked the promised land better. (laughs) Especially when they scouted it out and said how wonderful the place was. So do you understand, to go into the new, you couldn't have a desire for the old to go with you. Because God is doing something new for them. And so He is with us. The nice thing and telling thing about the Israelites crossing over the Jordan River is they end their regret, their resentment for having left Egypt. You see, about a million folks left. And not all of them had a say in the matter. They said, we're going. You're not staying. We're going. And they may have been some friends there that they left behind or some familiarity. And some of those folks just didn't like change very much. Are you one of them? A lot of us like to keep things on the up and up, straightforward, even keeled, no surprises, That way I don't have to expect a whole lot of things. But i got to share with you, if we don't change, there is no growth. Growth requires change. To learn something new means your mind has gathered something new in, which is a different thing for it. It's changed a little. Maybe you're like me and you've gone to reunions, or family reunions, class reunions, or saw an old friend you haven't seen in a while, and you realize, boy, they've gotten a lot older. I haven't, but they have. 
And there's a reason why it doesn't look to us like we've gotten older, but they have. It's because our mind in this little black box thing we've been talking about has this innate, amazing ability to see that what's current is the most recent information is the most accurate. So if we look in the mirror and see ourselves every day, we're getting ready or whatever, we don't see those gradual changes. It's incremental and so small that, well, from one day to the next, you can't tell any. But from 15 years, one set to the next, you can pull up old pictures and go, huh, I haven't changed any, but I look a lot younger 15 years ago. It's just how it works. Our minds like that. So when we see people we haven't seen for that long, they look like they've aged, and we haven't. Of course, they're thinking the same thing about us. Well, you look older, but not me. I look the same. I remember going to a high school reunion a couple few years ago, and uh, and there's a guy there. I I didn't recognize him. I had no clue who it was. He started talking. I couldn't put the voice anywhere, and I said, "Were you in our class?" He goes, "I was your best friend." <laughs> I went, "What?" My best friend. He goes, "Yeah," and I said, "What?" And he and he told me his name. His name is Michael, and I said. You don't look like Michael, you don't sound like Michael, and you don't talk like Michael. He said, it's been 20 years since I was that guy. My voice change was late, and my hair color is no longer black. And I'm no longer 5'8", I'm 6'3". He got all his growth spurt after high school. Everybody's going, he's the most changed. He said, I didn't change any, you all did. <laughs> but he had changed a lot for us in 15, 20 years. That happens. So I remember that. And, and our mind likes to take things and hold them the way that they are until the next time that you see that person. And that gap, no matter how long it is, our mind keeps current the way it is at the moment we last saw it. Now there's a reason for that. When I was a lot younger, I used to live in the Chicago area. And yesterday I was at a funeral for a service for my godmother. Her oldest son and I were best friends when we were three, four, five, six, all the way up to about age 16, 18 years old. So we spent a lot of time together when we were in Chicago, but my family moved south and then it was like once or twice a year we saw each other, rekindling the relationship until we went to college. Obviously, family vacations don't take college students usually with them unless they're home at that time because the family changes, the dynamics. So on the vacations after he went to college and they would come to see our family, he wasn't with them. So I rekindled a relationship with his second uh, oldest brother. Uh, he had two others. And we began to be friends. And then he went to college. And the next time they came to visit, it was just the youngest. So then I kindled a relationship with him. It was kind of like step down. And, and, I, and I began to get a little upset because I said, we're best friends. Why don't we spend time together? And he said, well, I don't live at home anymore. So when they come, I don't. We would have to work really hard for two single guys living seven hours apart to find a time to get together and do things. It's not easy. That was the sentimentality. But over the years, I realized this guy was my best friend and we, we stopped talking. Didn't even have each other's phone number anymore. 
Because, you know, in the day of cell phones, people don't use landlines and their parents' number when they get married and have families. So yesterday I'm talking to him, his name is Eric, and I said, Eric, do you know, and I'm wondering why over the years, that we kind of drifted apart. And he said, well, kind of happened in college. We both went our separate ways. You went one way, I went another, and we just never stayed in touch. And I, and I asked him the question, because I thought it was because I had done something wrong. So I said, well, did I do something to encourage this, this separation? He said, no, not at all. We're just as good as we've ever been. But, from the time we were 18 until yesterday, I thought that there was something wrong with the relationship. And I resented him for not coming back to tell me what was going on. Now catch this. Remember what I just said. Current information, until you get new, is the real stuff. So from 18 to the age I am now, which if you don't know, I don't need to refresh it, um, that long, I'm carrying this idea that there's resentment between us, and he's not. But I am. And so I'm thinking when I see him at the funeral, oh, all this old resentment, I'm going, that's, why is that there? It's because that's the current knowledge I had, which is now over 30 years old. But it's still the reality, because this thing doesn't change until you deal with the reality that is to make it become what it should be. In other words, get this, I was living that relationship from 18 years old all the way up to yesterday. Do you talk about living in another time zone? <laughs> I'm talking I was living teenage mentality and I'm nowhere near that now. Do you understand? Now was still the same as 30 plus years ago. That's living in another time zone, isn't it? It's carrying all that stuff forward. wasn't even accurate, but still living there and thinking about that relationship and not wanting to kindle it because you thought there was something wrong. We all do this. We all have stuff where we're stuck. We all have stuff in relationships or memories that aren't necessarily accurate, but they're true for us because they were true then. And because they were true then, and we have no new updated facial information or logical information to tell us that something's different. So we're stuck there. However long it was ago. If someone hurt you when you were a kid, and you're well up in years and you never forgave them, you still haven't forgiven them. Well, why not? Well, because you haven't. <laughs> That's why. That relationship still has a break in it. Even from childhood. Because you never took care of it, that means that relationship still stuck when you're a kid. Kind of an interesting looking thing, but let me ask you a question. Do you know some places that you're stuck in the past? Do we have places as a church that we're stuck in the past? trying to rekindle it or say this is who we are when that's not our identity. That's not who we are now. It's who we were. But we still keep that as the reality. What does now look like compared to then? The difference 
is the stuckness. It's what I call it. Stuckness. And I have ten different things that you can look at if you want to write these down to see if you're stuck. The first one is, are you carrying resentments? Resenting somebody, some situation, or something that happened. And just every time you think about it, you just go, I I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to think about that. It's better left in the past. Uh, After all, there's nothing I can do about it. And, And those resentments go forward with you. Listen to me. Until you resolve them, your brain and your mind and your emotional state keeps those resentments as reality. Until they're healed. That's the first element that you might be in stuckness or stuck in a relationship or in your life or in other ways. The second one is unforgiveness. If we're unwilling to forgive somebody, we are stuck. We will spend the rest of our days in that relationship stuck. You say, oh, I don't have a relationship with that person. I won't ever talk to them again. I can't forgive them. I can't look at them. I can't see them. I can't even have a moment with them in my mind and still feel safe. No way am I forgiving that person. That is where you'll be stuck and your brain does not delineate. That is, it doesn't make a difference between how you felt towards that person and how you might feel kind of remotely similar to the next person like that does something similar. So guess what? The new person who you have a remotely similar experience with gets all the stuff that the first person you're still resentful and unforgiving about. Well, I can't trust that person and here comes someone who does something kind of like it and you go, well, they're just like them. You don't even have to think about the connection. It's just there. Talk about living in another time zone. Unforgiveness keeps us from growing relationships with people who are similar but different than people we won't forgive. The third thing you can tell if you're stuck is you resist change. Almost like it's a cancer. But we can't do that. If we do that, my world's going to fall apart. We get so rigid stuck, but rigid and firm, we go, well, if I move this way, it's it's scary over here, it's scary over here, so if we never try anything new, now we're walking a little uh, parallel bar or a tightrope, and if we go one way or the other, we're afraid we're going to fall off and we're walking on a tightrope to begin with, because we resist change, but change is inevitable in our lives. I keep looking in the mirror every day and then I look at pictures from just 10 years ago. My wife and I, she still looks the same. She's still young and pretty. I'm all wrinkly. My face is sagging. Extra chins, all this other stuff. I, um, I once heard somebody say, man, you got more chins than a Chinese phone book. And I said, thanks a lot. I didn't really need to hear that. I'm glad I trusted them. And I didn't build a resentment. I thought they were just making a joke, and they were. But that's something that we do, though. We resist change. Sometimes even as a church, we'll say, well, we'd like to see this church grow, but but we don't want to do anything different. (laughs) We don't want to take a risk 
and love some people in a way that makes us uncomfortable because that would be change. Plus, scary. They might actually appreciate it. And if they like me, then they're going to want a relationship with me. And I just don't need any more time with relationships. We, we find all sorts of reasons to not do stuff, don't we? To, to not change. The fourth one. We are either focused on the past or the future, not the present. How does that work? Like this. Remember when, back in the day, if most of your statements start like, it used to be like, you're stuck in the past. If it's, you know, one day we're gonna, or one day I will, or when I get enough energy, I'm gonna, that's future focused. Future focus or past focus is not going to help you because you're stuck. That means you're stuck. Uh, the fifth one goes along with that one, which is the, the word now is painful. The present is painful. Well, you have to do stuff now. I, I can't do it now. I'll do it later. Now hurts because now means I have to feel. Now means I have to invest myself in whatever I'm believing or doing. So now becomes painful to risk in the present. But this is the only time we can do something is now. I can't do it yesterday. I can't do it later. I, whenever I'm doing something, it's the present moment. It always is. You can't make decisions in the later. And you cannot make, unmake decisions that were made in the past to change them for the past. You can only change them in the now for the forward. So now is painful. The sixth one, you're unmotivated. If you feel unmotivated by things, you might be stuck. It could also be depression or other things. But if you are going, you know, I, yeah, I don't, I'm just not motivated to do that. If you have to have a reason to love people and be motivated to do it, I'm just not excited about that. <laughs> Instead of saying, I'm going to be obedient even if I don't feel motivated. How is that for you? Are you motivated? Do you really believe that you make a difference enough to do something about it? The seventh one, you have no reason why you should. Sometimes in the sales world, we talk about what's your why for getting out of bed and doing the hard work of trying to sell things. What's your why? Some people say it's for my family. Some people say it's because I want a better life. Some people say my why is because I want to make a difference in the world. But if you don't have a reason for doing what you're doing, you have no reason why. What's your why? If you don't know the answer to that, you're probably not going to have a whole lot of success or activity moving you forward because you don't have a reason to do it. It's different than being unmotivated. Unmotivated unmotivated means you just don't have the energy and not inspired. But the why is that gut sense that you're doing this for a reason greater than the actual effort requires. People spend thousands and thousands of hours learning a talent and they'll spend hundreds and hundreds of hours practicing for a five-minute performance. I don't have a why to do that. 
I can't practice a couple hundred hours to sing a four-minute song, which is probably why you don't want me singing a four-minute song without practice. So I have no why to do that. It's just not that important to me. What's important enough to you to do something? That is your why. The eighth way to tell if you're stuck is you have this sense of drifting. Feel like you're drifting through life. Just going from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And and just kind of floating along. Like everything just kind of happens and you're watching it. You don't have any investment in it. You're just kind of going with the flow, doing what you do. Kind of like Eeyore. Well, it's another day. I might as well wake up. I don't want to spoil it, but I'm going to be in it anyway. Just kind of drifting, you know. Just kind of lethargic. No passion. I used to be that way. Drifting along. I I thought that that was a good thing at the time. (laughs) But it's not. It means I was stuck. The ninth one. Your relationships are mostly superficial. If you're stuck and you don't have good relationships, that could be another telling sign. If you have deep relationships with people where you can share anything and you can pour your heart out and love and laugh and feel like you are you, you know, a place and a person where you feel like you can be yourself and not have to worry what they think. If you don't have that, you could be stuck because your relationships aren't deep enough to talk about the real things in life. To connect you. And if you're not connected in relationships, you're most likely not connected with your life either. Or the things in it. And that's a sense of stuckness. And the last one, and this one is kind of telling, but it's also one of the last ones we look at. But it should be the first sign because it's the first thing goes out the door when you're stuck. And it's a lack of generosity. What's the first thing that happens when money gets tight? What goes away first? Helping other people. Giving it away. Well, God, I'll give you my tithe once I get more money in, but right now, yeah, I got bills to pay, I got mouths to feed, I got expenses, God, I got my debt, I got my boat, I got to pay for my uh, second mortgage on my third house. God, you know, I can't afford to tithe right now. You understand generosity is the first thing to go when you're stuck. So if you're not giving in your life and sharing and loving, you could be pretty stuck. Why? Because giving and loving shows that you have value and worth. So those things are very important. Are you stuck? Again, as a church, are we stuck? I kind of look at it like this. Some people are motivated in life to get things done, to make a living, to make a life here in this world, and that's what they focus on right now. And this world, this life, nothing else. But i got to share with you, if you're of that mindset, you can win in this world and lose in the next. That means you can have all the world's trappings and treasures and lose in eternity. Jesus said it like this, What profit does it give a man to gain the whole world and lose his very soul? What profit is that? 
What profit is it in staying stuck, which means you're losing your soul by being stuck? God created you to move forward, to bless, live, and give from here forward because you can't give to someone in the past. (laughs) You can't go backward to a few years ago and make a generous motion there. You have to do it now and forward. The Scriptures tell us in this chapter in Hebrews tells us that we need to focus on the eternal while living in the now. That we are citizens of the heavenly country. even says it on the screen there. That we are longing for a heavenly country. A place called Beulah Land. Heaven, if you will. The kingdom of God. The reality of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. These things. And yet, we still have to live that out now. Here's what I look at. Have you ever seen somebody who has moved to this country and established citizenship here? Or at least came to this country and began to live here, and they began to live like they were still over there in another country. It's kind of weird to me when our language is English and kind of Spanish um, in this country, and someone refuses to learn the language. It's real hard to communicate with them, isn't it? And if they learn it a little bit, you still got to go, can someone tell me what this person's saying? Can you find somebody that speaks their native tongue so I can talk to this person and understand what they're trying to say? Because they're not living as a citizen of this country, they're still speaking this old language. It's the truth for us as Christians that in this country, we are United States citizens, but when we belong to Jesus Christ, we have renounced our citizenship in this world and have now claimed it in the kingdom of God, which is our heavenly country. This is where our home now is, with God. That there is no place that should feel completely at home on earth because this is not our home. With God is. Now you say, wait a minute. What are you talking about? I'm talking about in this life, as we live it out, that God has given us a way to live for Him to make a difference in this world by living currently as though you're already in the new place. In other words, you're learning the language of a Christian. You're learning to love as Jesus did. This world does not do that. It cannot do that. It speaks a different language than Christian. This world, for the most part, is stuck. Oh, yeah. Resentments, unforgiveness. Don't like change unless it's technology and it's better and faster. But that's self-motivated, isn't it? Money-driven, asset-driven, not love-driven. If it was love-driven, they wouldn't make such a humongous profit off of us, right? And they'd find ways to give their product away to the less fortunate. 
But they're not love-driven. They're there by stockholders and corporate policy, which has nothing to do with grace and mercy. It's a different language, isn't it? And therefore, it is future-oriented, not present. Big business is future-oriented. We have to talk about what we'll be like in the future and we'll begin now to create this long-term vision so we can live that out. But they don't live in the now where the pain is. Or the hurt. Unless the company's falling apart. Unfortunately for us, we have a lot of bad examples. Don't we? If you look in Scripture, not only do you see the Israelites, but you also see when Sodom and Gomorrah are going to be destroyed and God's looking for ten righteous to save the city. Several thousands of people think they said the cities were uh, multiple thousand. I can't remember the exact number, but if you could just find ten righteous, He would save the whole place. Couldn't find ten. Couldn't even find one. Lot uh, was spared because Abraham asked if he could save his nephew. And so Lot and his children, and for the most part, Lot's wife was spared from the destruction of the city. And as they're leaving the city, which is ungodly, and the whole family that's leaving is ungodly, God said, don't look back. Don't look back because I don't want you to have regrets for leaving that behind. I want you to look at now that you have a life with me, which is God, going forward where you can change the world around you to be a better place. But one of the crew traveling, Lot's wife, said, the pull on all that place in the past. And and I, I would resent my husband, if I did at least take a look. And, and, and I'm regretting leaving because I know what life is like there and I like it. <laughs> She's not one of the righteous. And you know the story. She turns her head, looks back, becomes a pillar of salt. Salt. I used to think about that and I thought, why is it that it was salt? Why not sugar? Why not pepper? Why not burn her up? You know what salt's for, don't you? It's to add seasoning. Right? But, how many of us have ever taken an entire spoonful of salt and stuck it in our mouth thinking it was sugar. (laughs) How many poured a spoonful of sugar in their coffee before and tried to drink it? I've done this stuff. I took a spoonful because when I was a kid I used to eat spoonfuls of sugar. I think my family put the salt one day in a similar container just to teach me a lesson. My lesson was, know the difference between the granules of sugar and the granules of salt. (laughs) And so, I stuck an entire 
spoonful of salt in my mouth. Do you know what that tastes like? (laughs) Repulsive. It's not pleasant. But listen to me. When Lot's wife was transformed, she was transformed into salt. She was entirely salt. Entirely unvaluable as a whole. In large sums. Now you say, well, what's that got to do with the past? Because the past is like too much salt. It's like everything becoming salted and bitter and, and salty flavor. I try to say bitter and salt, but it's not quite the same. It's completely different. But you understand, we're not bitter about it. We, we've become salty. We've become salt in that area of our life, which means nobody wants a part of it. It doesn't do any good. So think of it. Full of resentment, unforgiveness. You don't want change. You're thinking about the past or the future. You don't want to be in the now. You're not motivated. you got no reason why. You're just kind of floating along. You have superficial relationships and a lack of generosity. That's salt. It's no good. Nobody wants that thing in themselves or in a friend because you don't know who the person is. They're stuck. They're not growing. The relationship cannot mature. And here we are. On this day in April, being asked that question, are we stuck? It was faith that made Abraham obey when God called him to not be stuck in his father's religion, his father's country, or his father's beliefs but to go somewhere else. God said go, and He didn't ask where, He just went. Talk about change. Abraham could have resented it. He was Abram at the time. But it says it was faith that made him live as a stranger from this old country in a new country. Unrecognizable to them. So he had to live in tents for a while. Get this. Stay with me. As a believer in Jesus Christ, people are going to think you're a little bit crazy if you live out the Gospel. They're going to say, you don't do things like the rest of us. Where are you from? (laughs) What makes you act so differently? Why are you so gracious in terms of a life that should be tumultuous? But the verse that gets me here is verse number 9. It says, He lived in tents as did his son Isaac, And Jacob, Abraham passed on to his kids. He passed on the new, the different, the change to his children. He changed. And it says, not only Sarah, but there's references to Noah in this chapter and several others. And it says, that they did not get what God promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. And they admitted openly that they're foreigners and refugees here on earth. Is this your home? Are you comfortable here? Are you stuck in planet earth mode? (laughs) Or are you motivated 
to make this world a better place because you're living like you belong in a different place. I said until yesterday, and my friend Eric and I, I thought were distant. I went to him and I told him all these things. And I said, I got a story to tell you. And this story really helped. I said when, when he was 14, Eric was going the wrong way. He's involved in the city scene, uh, uh, drugs, alcohol, uh, stealing, going bad, bad direction, hanging out with a real bad crowd. In a city you can find it anywhere. Probably would have ended up in a gang and thrown his life away. Probably been dead by the time he was 22. He was going that direction. He was 14 years old, took a car, was, uh, you know, not sober, he wrecked it, should have died, still has a scar for the rest of his life, running from here down to here. He'll never, ever not have a reminder of that. And, and when it happened, our family got a call, and they told us that he might not live. So we started praying. But in the midst of that call, Eric's father, whose best friend was my dad, said, I know now what my son's been up to, and I just want to destroy him because it really hurts. I just want to punish him and hurt him. And he said to my dad, what do I do? My dad asked him one question. He said, do you love your son? He said, yes, I do. He said, then remember that when you're talking to him about what needs done. Rather than punish his son when he got better, rather than monitor every move, he had to sit down with him and later with his wife. They all sat down about choices. Choices we make now affect tomorrow. Choices we affect tomorrow that we make right now. He was 14. Later, college. He realized that he's going to be out of the house for the rest of his life. And he says, some of my choices still weren't good, but I remember the conversation I had with my dad. So I called him. I came home for a weekend. And I sat down with him, and we talked about choices. And we mapped out what were the best choices for my life and planned it out. We did that then, and I followed that plan. I hear this story, how it could have turned out. He could have not had that conversation with his dad. His dad could have erupted, told him what kind of a lousy son he was, monitored everything, and he would have lived in fear that his dad would find out what he's doing. He could have been raised up, gone the wrong way. Maybe he had kids, maybe not, maybe multiple marriages, but would have started a cycle in perpetuum of unhealthy relationships because his father judged him and monitored every move he made like he was a police officer. And he could have felt like he was under criticism and um, lock and key until he left the house and be glad to leave and never went back. Much like the prodigal son didn't want to. He could have been that way, couldn't he have? And he could have spent the rest of his life on drugs and alcohol, throwing his life away, and when he had kids, done the same mean things to them that his dad did because he said, I'll never do it to him, but we'll do it anyway. <laughs> it's true. We say, I'll never do it to my kids what my parents did to me. And somehow or another we say the same stuff, do the same stuff, don't know why. 
That's how it could have turned out. But I had a conversation with Eric's kids. First time I met him was Friday. And I said, what kind of dad is he? What kind of father is he? And this is what each of his children said. My dad's the kind of dad that my friends wish they had. That I love my dad. He has time for me. We're doing things together. We are great. We're close. I can tell him anything. And he's 20. He has a 17-year-old son said the same thing. And a 15-year-old daughter says, I can tell my dad anything. That would not have happened had his father in the past made the choice in the now to love his son. To act out of love rather than anger and bitterness toward what his son had done. He could have changed the next time zones for eternity. He was living in the now. But his actions were for her later to love his son now and forgive him for the way he was running his life. He lived under grace, mercy, and forgiveness from his parents. It made all the difference in his life, but also in his children's life. Because of the action of his father. He chose to love his son. Any other parent would have said you should have throttled him. You should have just shown him what was wrong and told him he deserved the consequences he had. But that's not what happened. He needed grace. You understand, people who speak like that don't speak this world's language. He was motivated by his son's future. Not the resentment in the now. So if you've got unforgiveness or resentment toward anybody, you still have it. And you'll have it until you get rid of it. Your brain still says it's current information. And so does your heart. But it's hard to live gracious lives of trust and real relationships when you're afraid you're going to have someone else hurt you. Oh, that's not nice. No, it's not, but I share this with you. Yesterday, I had to forgive my friend and myself for something that was a misunderstanding. And the moment I did that, do you know what happened? It wasn't all this gushy-mushy stuff. I saw how I had done the same thing with many other resentments. That the pattern began when I was 16. And I didn't make the choice to love and forgive my friend at that time. By the time he was 18, the breach was done. I pray today that you stop living in another time zone, start living in this one, to take care of the business and needs done with brokenness in your life and in relationships so you can move forward and the next time zone, which is the eternal one, you'll bring people with you. And your next generation of family and friends will have seen you as a person who had quality time and loved you. And you love them. Without question. And you're the kind of person that other people wish they had a friend like you. People, this is Scripture. Those who say such things make it clear that they're looking for a country of their own. 
They don't keep thinking about the country they had left. If they had, they would have had a chance to return. Instead, it was a better country they longed for, the heavenly country. And so God is not ashamed for them to call Him their God because He has prepared a city for them. Where are you living? Where is your home? This is the Word of God for the people of God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I come knowing that You have the keys, the power, and You have given us the opportunity today to hear the truth about where we might be stuck. And Heavenly Father, if there's anybody who's stuck, if they'd have the courage this morning to mend fences, to heal the breach, to offer forgiveness, to let go of resentments so they can move forward. That's what it's all about, Heavenly Father, is Your kingdom, Your glory. May we be so hungry and thirsty for that that we're willing to do whatever it takes to live that way now. And we forgive one another as You've forgiven us. Amen.